Uh, greetings, you're watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, welcome, my name's Adam Draycott. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 8th of August, uh, the uh, 19th Ordinary Sunday. Our sentence of scripture comes from Mark chapter 10 verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let us pray. Lord God, you know that we cannot put our trust in anything that we do. Help us to have faith in you alone, to rely on your grace and mercifully defend us by your power against all adversity. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
As we come to the ministry of God's Word, our Bible readings today come from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 to 20, Psalm 23, and our preaching passage is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Uh, let's pray. Loving Father, as we come together and open up your word online, we pray that you be at work by your spirit. Um, grow us in our understanding of this important topic, that we know how the church should roll, how leadership should roll. Um, help us to do it all as uh, we humbly submit to Christ Jesus, our King and Saviour. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is uh, talk number four, our last talk in our series on godly leadership. Talk number one, we saw that godly leadership is anchored in God's word. God approved leadership is uh, cuts the word straight. Uh, second talk, uh, godly leadership is not only preached, it is lived. Uh, it's lived out, godly character in community, of course. Our third talk we saw that godly leadership is selfless and sacrificial and servant-hearted because that is what Jesus is like. And our fourth talk today, where will we land? There's so much more to say, but we'll give it a crack. Uh, and we won't cover all of it, but here we are in 1 Peter chapter 5. We might say godly leadership is dot, dot, dot. What have you concluded? I don't know, but let's work this out together. Uh, notice... 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, this is the Apostle Peter writing, I appeal as a fellow elder, so we're, we're on the same page, we're together in this. But then he escalates thing as a witness of Christ's sufferings. Now technically that's what an apostle is, somebody who bore witness to Christ. Uh why not just say, as an apostle, well, someone this week helpfully observed, well, the sufferings of Jesus is strongly on view here in 1 Peter. Uh, but not only the sufferings of Jesus, the sufferings of God's people. What goes for Jesus goes for those who follow him. That's the drive of 1 Peter. And maybe that's why chapter 5 opens this way, as a witness of Christ's sufferings. Uh, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. And then comes the punch, uh, the command, be shepherds under the shepherd, be shepherds of God's flock. Peter, as an apostle, can vouch for the shepherd. And so the command is shepherd like Jesus shepherds. Uh, uh, people are under your care. Uh, watch over them. All that shepherding language. As Jesus, the shepherd, shepherds all of us, so the under-shepherds are to do likewise. Uh, it means, again, that the work of the shepherd, Jesus, anchors our ministry and our service, the way we serve, but also not only does it anchor our ministry, we need to see it as um, our service, our ministry, well, it's not my ministry. It's a continuation of Christ's ministry. It's ultimately his, because he is the shepherd. Um, the work of Christ doesn't end when Jesus died 
and rose again and ascended. No, his ministry continues through the lives of his people, his mob. Uh, we need to see that. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them. And then come three, three things uh, Peter's going to say about this shepherding. And as he does it, he's going to contrast it with the ways of the world. So notice, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Of course, God wants you to be willing. He doesn't want you to feel obligated. Uh, serving is never to be a sure, a chore, but a privilege. Serving isn't something that we grudge about. It should be a joy uh, because you get to be like Jesus, remember, that must be the source of joy. So godly service, true godly service is willing service. There's no expectations uh, there. Uh, it's just willing. We want to do it. And why? Well, because Jesus was first willing. He was and is willing. Uh, not half-hearted, but wholehearted. This is what is on view. And so let me be plain for a moment. If you are on a church roster, whether it's at St. Augustine's, my, uh, my, my church family, or somewhere else, and if you're doing that begrudgingly, uh, you might at this point be thinking, well, I better get off the roster. Uh, I'm not going to make that easy for you. I'm going to actually say to you that that's not the answer necessarily, though it still might be. Um, another answer is repent. Turn around, change your mind, change your thinking, change your action. Serve, because Jesus first served us. And do it with joy. Uh, notice the second thing. Uh, we're not to pursue dishonest gain, verse 2, but we're to be eager to serve. That's We've talked about this. This is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. There is an invitation by Peter to check our motives. Uh, and the last one, uh, Verse 3, I think it is, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to Christ's flock, to the flock. Now, that's Mark chapter 10, isn't it? That was last week. They are words, the very words that came from the lips of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. And so as we read 1 Peter, we can go, yay, Peter was listening. He was listening to the words of Jesus, good for him, and now he's passed it on to us. Of course, none of this is for nothing, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, of course we know who that is, Jesus Christ, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now at this point we might rightly conclude that godly leadership is shepherding leadership, um, and it looks like the chief shepherd and totally okay with that, 100%, I'm with you. Someone who cares for the flock, understands the sheep as people entrusted to them. They watch over them. They're willing. They're eager. They're servant-hearted. Uh, that is a wonderful conclusion. It is a right conclusion, but there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more to say. Because, uh, I mean, what do we do with the rest of the chapter? Uh, we begin with shepherding imagery, but it moves us on to everybody because shepherds have sheep, don't they? Uh, and so this is another reminder 
But leadership doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in a community. We have overseers, shepherds, but what about the sheep? What about those who are overseen? Because leading is one thing, but how do you get how do you get people to come with you? And is that the thing with sheep, right? Because they're sheep by nature are followers, aren't they? Aren't they? Especially when they're together as a mob. I mean, you might get a rogue sheep here and there, and maybe you've got a story about a rogue sheep. One of my mates, uh, Larry Turner, uh, he has a story about a rogue sheep, and I think he can still feel the bruises, but that is his story to tell. Uh, I'm not going to... No, I'll leave that one alone. But um, one story I had, when I worked in Bendigo... I was a property valuer, but I would take a, an occasional day, uh, a practical day, to complement some study I was doing, ag science degree. And uh, so I, worked, I spent a day as a farmhand once a fortnight for, a, for about a year. And I remember out at a place called Dingy, that was the name of the, vi the village, uh, in central Victoria, the farmers were very generous to me, um, Colin and Robin Falls. We just finished moving... Um, this big mob out of one paddock. And you know when you're getting that moment where you're thinking about closing the gate, you want to go slow, you don't want to rush things, and they're just going to make their way through. And you get to the last last handful, um, and you just, you know, I'm hoping none of these animals get any any strange ideas. The job's nearly done. They're nearly through. Because again, their nature is to be together. Um, of course, until my dog got off and made a complete mess of it. And she separates a handful of sheep. And of course, the chase is on all the way down to the far boundary, uh, which wasn't so good. And uh, yeah, that was real bad. Dog was happy. Dog had a good run. Now... What, why am I telling you that story? Look, remember back in Palestine, the shepherd left his dog and his quad back in the shed at home. That The shepherd would lead from the front, not muster from the rear, and the sheep would follow. They knew his voice. They would follow him. And a mob that didn't follow, well, any mob that didn't follow the shepherd can only be a different animal. It's noteworthy here that as Peter writes about Christian leadership, shepherding, he then puts the spotlight on the sheep, the mob. And what does he say? He says, all of you, all of you, verse 5, uh, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. An example of that is the younger submitting themselves to the elder. But really, all of you is a catch-all uh, uh, sentence. Clothe yourselves. Get dressed in it. Put it on. What is it? What is the clothing? It's humility to one another. Um, not just leaders. Everybody is to do this. This is what the mob looks like. They're a humble lot, apparently. Why? Because he goes on to say, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Pride is the opposite 
of humility. And so verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. There's a thought. God's mighty hand. That he may lift you up. Has he got you by the scruff of the neck now? As he lifts you up in due time. Verse 7, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's the shepherd after all. Be alert and sober mind your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, steadfast. Uh, their present promises. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now we need to talk about humility because humility is not a popular trait in our world. It's not touted at talk shows. It's not celebrated in speeches. If I go to the self-help section of a library or a bookshop, will I find books on humility and how to be humble? Will I? All the best with that. If I go to and get counselling, is the counsellor going to say, Adam, have you tried a good dose of humility? Are they going to say that? And why is, it, why is this a situation? And the answer is because where God goes, humility goes. Where God goes, humility follows. And we are immersed in a society that no longer acknowledges God as the all-present, all-powerful God to be loved and worshipped. Humanity just thinks we're, we're above all that, to be honest, that we can stand on our own. And so humility then disappears with God. And who takes God's place? We do. And with humanity comes the opposite of humility. With humanity comes pride. So the atmosphere we breathe is hostile to humility. Peter says humility, here in this chapter, he's basically saying humility is essential to the Christian life. It is a basic necessity, a basic ingredient, a basic thing. And three times the command comes in one form or another. So at the start of verse 5, younger men be subject, that is be humble, Toward your leaders, verse 5b, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. We talked about that. Or verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Three times. Humility is the defining mark of a, of a true Christian. And if humility is the defining mark of a true Christian, then a passage like, oh, I don't know, Hebrews 13 verse 17 is always going to ring true. Now, what does that say? What does Hebrews 13 17 say? Let me read it for you. Remember, humility is the defining mark of a Christian. Then this verse will always ring true. Ready? Have confidence in your leaders. And submit to their authority. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For what would 
be, for that would be of no benefit to you indeed. No benefit to anybody, truth be told. But from the text we get four incentives for humility. We're back in 1 Peter 5 now. What are the incentives? Verse 5b, God is opposed to the proud. There's an incentive. Nothing could be worse than having the infinitely powerful and holy God opposed to you because you're proud. Proud. Don't be proud. What's the another incentive? Verse 5b, God gives grace to the humble. I mean, nothing then could be better than to have an infinitely powerful and wise God treat us graciously. What could be better? This is what he does to the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. Verse 6, here's the third incentive. God will use his mighty hand to exalt the humbly. Scruff the neck, he's picking us up. And so humble, humble ourselves. Suffering now, yep, glory later. That's the path. Verse 7, God will use his mighty hand to care for the humble. So casting all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. Casting all our cares on God, that is an expression of humility. Not casting our cares on God, our anxieties, it's not humility, it's pride. And so what is one major barrier to a richer, fuller prayer life? The answer is pride. Pride is the opposite of humility. Pride is the opposite of the gospel of grace. Pride is self-satisfied, self-reliant, self-sufficient. Pride is above instruction. Just won't be told. Pride is self-justifying. Pride is rebellion. Pride takes credit for what God does. Pride loves the spotlight and loves to be exalted Ultimately, pride does not trust God. Pride is anxious about the future. But trusting God is the heartbeat of humility. Trusting God in full and complete dependence on him is the heartbeat of humility. And that's the thing about the sheep in Palestine. Because they trust the shepherd, shepherd, the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd who first entrusted him to self, him, himself to God. And because they trust this shepherd, well, the green pastures and the still waters are theirs. They know they are counted among the counted. They don't worry about becoming lion food or bear food. Why am I talking about that all of a sudden? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you think about Old Testament history, we're told quite clearly that, sh that King David was a shepherd boy. And when he was a shepherd boy, he was renowned because he killed a lion with his bare hands. And a bear, I think, but you can check that. But here, as we hit this shepherding language in verses 1 to 4, we get to verse uh, 6. We get language about a roaring lion prowling around and Peter's saying, you got to keep a lookout. you got to keep a lookout. It's on everybody. Keep a lookout for the prowling lion that we know to be called the devil. It's on everybody to do that now. 
But I think it puts it in such a way that he's not discounting the shepherd's role in that either. I mean, how could it? And so here is an encouragement for us as Christians to be alert and to and of sober mind to the wily ways of the devil. But do we see here the principle? Yes, godly leadership is shepherding. It is pastoral work, absolutely. But see that godly leadership also shows itself in godly followers, people who are humble. Godly leadership then is manifest in the mob. Can you tell a good shepherd by the condition of the mob? Of course you can. Of course you can. You might even win prizes for that at some agricultural show somewhere. I'm sure they give prizes for that, don't they? But maybe put another way, uh, godly leadership bears good fruit. Whereas ungodly leadership bears bad. Now, that's Matthew 7, isn't it? Ungodly leadership, they're described as wolves ravenous wolves or in 2 Timothy chapter 2 we've talked about this it described as their teachings like gangrene then I wonder oh, what happens if you get a godly leader and he's put amongst a, an unruly mob I mean that that that's heartbreaking for all and and humans humans are pretty good at making for unruly mobs aren't they but as you think about that, think more. I want to say to you, the unruly mob is really contrary to the nature of the sheep. It's contrary to the nature of the sheep. And it's contrary to their relationship with the shepherd, the chief shepherd. And so do we see, as we come bring this around full circle, ultimately... This is about our response to Christ. It's Christ's work in us and through us. And if that is true, how do we respond as the mob? Well, all of us, we clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. We're all submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 5. And because we love Christ, we love one another, including our leaders. Does it mean we won't suffer? No. Verse 9 is clear. We're to resist the devil, stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And so there's a perspective. Peter is he's just saying there's nothing special. No one can claim anything special here. No one's unique in terms of their suffering for the gospel. That um, It's old news. It's happened before, rather. And it's happening now and it will happen again. Uh, Christians have suffered before. They suffer today. They will suffer again. But we do it as a mob. And as a mob, we're going to suffer on account of the gospel. But together we resist the devil. We stand firm in our faith in Christ. So verse 10, And the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory in Christ, after we have suffered a little while, will himself restore us and make us strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever and that is the promise for today we've covered a lot of territory we haven't covered everything on the topic 
Where can I find a godly leader? From among the mob. One who correctly handles the word and actually lives it out. Not only preaching forgiveness, but actually practicing forgiveness. Someone who's selfless, sacrificial, servant-hearted as Jesus is. A shepherd as Jesus is. Because let's face it, the answer is always Jesus. Amen. Please make sure you spend some time in prayer. Uh, please pray through that passage of Scripture. Um, give it to God. Cast all your anxieties on Him, uh, whether that's concern about uh, the state of our world and uh, the Delta strain crisis, um, our friends in, in other places that are locked down presently. Uh, our, our thoughts and prayers are with you, those who are sick, the lonely, the outcast. Uh, please spend some time casting all your cares on our Heavenly Father, uh, the one who loves us, who cares for us, the one who watches over us. Amen.
Отца 